I don't know if they're ready for our energy today, fellas. Everybody all right? Everybody straight? Let's eat. Family on three. One, two, three. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. I'm Mike Hopkins, the founder of PCBB1917.com, and I want to thank you for joining me again. This is episode three of the 2016-17 podcast season for me, and we are back pretty soon after the last episode, which aired, which was last week, towards the end of last week, right before the Carlton-Providence exhibition game, and we're back to recap that game, a game that was not televised uh, only available, I believe, on Friars.com streaming audio, uh, not even on the radio in Rhode Island. Um, I had alluded to in my last podcast, I was going to hopefully be having someone join me for this Carlton recap, and I'll have more on that in a minute. But first, uh, Providence defeated the Carlton Ravens 87-69 on Saturday night uh, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh just do some stats here before we uh, dive into the game. Uh, the Friars went out with the starting lineup that I had predicted at the end of the last podcast, but I have a feeling that's probably not going to be the starting five for uh, Vermont, I don't think, but you never know. I did get lucky this time. Um, Kyron Cartwright started. Isaiah Jackson started at the two. Jalen Lindsay at the three. Rodney Bullock, four. Emmett Holt at the five. First player off the bench was Khalif Young, the freshman big man from Canada, followed by Ryan Fizikis, and then it was Alpha Diallo. After that, Malik White, Ricky Council, and Tom Planick, all 11 scholarship players, uh, saw minutes in the first half of action. Second half seemed to be a little bit more rotational. Uh, Cooley uh, said the second half was more of what they would do in a real game in his post-game remarks, which we'll also have at the end of this podcast with some audio and reactions from uh, Ed Cooley postgame. Uh, let's get some stats from the box score for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Emmett Holt, uh, the transfer who started his college career in Indiana um, and came from a junior college. Emmett Holt led Providence with 19 points and 10 rebounds. He was 5-7 from the field, 8-10 at the free throw line in 26 minutes. Pretty impressive uh, debut, albeit in an exhibition. Uh, next, we have uh, Khalif, uh, sorry, Malik White, uh, 15 points, shot the ball pretty well. Uh, not sure that that was necessarily something that he was billed coming in, that he was going to be uh, shooting so well. He was 5 of 8 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Um, he also played 21 minutes, just three turnovers, no assists, though. Um Jalen Lindsay had 11 points, mostly from his 9 of 13 at the free throw line. Did not shoot the ball particularly well on the field, 1 of 6 and 0 for 4 from 3, but got to the line 13 times, made 9. Uh, so that's a that's a positive, I would say, overall. Did also add 4 rebounds in 31 minutes. Uh, he was the leading minute getter. Uh, part of that probably because he decided uh, he wanted to lock down uh, Carlton's uh, best player in the first half in the second half. So Cooley gave him that chance. Uh, I'll have a little bit more on that later as well. Uh, some other things from the box score. Um, Alpha Diallo was the only other friar in double figures. He had 10 points on 4 of 7 shooting, and he also grabbed 6 rebounds. Then Rodney Bullock, 8 points on 4 of 8 shooting. Kyron Cartwright, Ryan Fazekas, Khalif Young all had 6 points apiece. 
And then you had Isaiah Jackson, Ricky Council, and Tom Planick, who each added two points. Um, the Friars played all 12 healthy players on their roster, including walk-on Casey Woodring and former walk-on turned scholarship player Tom Planick. Drew Edwards did not dress, but I believe he has returned to practice, so I'll have to keep an eye on that for the opener on November 14th. So now let's jump through uh, to... Person I have coming on, uh, we're hoping to maybe do this in somewhat of a recurring fashion. Um, we had a nice uh, discussion uh, about an hour long, so just prepare for that um, about the game. He was in attendance, and that's uh, Brendan McGare, who is uh, of the Pawtucket Times. He is a Providence alum from the class of 2003. Got his start covering the team for the Cowl, and he's been with the Pawtucket Times since 2005. You can find him on Twitter at BWMcGare03. That is BWMcGair03, and he has actually an excellent article that went up on Tuesday morning um, online, giving some of his thoughts and observations from Providence's exhibition win over Carleton. Make sure to check that one out. You can sure you can get that on his Twitter as well. I'm going to have it up uh, in my links of the day uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so check that out. But uh, we're also going to have him uh, give his thoughts and observations right here on the podcast. So um, let's just jump right in. We'll get we'll get Brendan uh, involved in just, as I said, it's about an hour. And then I'll see you on the other side. All right, so let's jump right in. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. So first off, let's just talk some uh, about the returning guys. They were kind of the... the uh, the undercard when you get down to the end of, when you look at the box score from the other night. Um, let's start with Rodney Bullock. Just give me some of your quick hit thoughts on Rodney Bullock from Saturday. Well, I mean, obviously he's going to be have more of an expanded role this year. He's the Friars' leading returning scorer. I mean, he is probably you maybe of all the Friars that are returning this year, he's the one that probably has the most starting experience. So. Like, uh, I don't think I want to read too much into what he did the other night because he wasn't out of the game. He was not out on the floor while the Friars had their great second half. You know, Ed Cooley mainly turned the game over to the to the young guys, the freshmen in particular, wanted to see what they could do. But, uh, you know, obviously if the Friars are going to go anywhere this year, they're going to need a big game for Rodney Bullock. He didn't, obviously, light the world on fire Saturday night against uh, the uh, Canadian exhibition uh, game. So... I wouldn't worry too much about it. I just think, uh, you know, when the when the real games come when against Vermont a couple of weeks, he will be there. Yeah, I know that's a, a talking point among fans. Everybody kind of overreacts to the first game, positive or negatively, and everybody's just trying to trying to extrapolate out that oh well, he'll, you know, he doesn't really have what it takes to be a leader. He's going to disappear. I just don't know that you can get that from a random Saturday night game first. First time playing an opponent other than themselves since the NCAA tournament last year. Well, one thing I have noticed in the couple of times I've been to watch the Friars in practice, you know, he has been more vocal. And anybody who's talked to Rodney Bullock in the past, you know, he's a very quiet person, probably kind of two-word answers or whatever. You know, you kind of never knew what he was thinking. You would just maybe go by what he would do on the court and that's it. So it looks like he's taking on more of a vocal role, which is great to see. And, uh, you know, obviously that's part of the evolution of becoming uh, a next-step college basketball player. You know, the talent is last year with him. 
But people have to remember, this is only his true, truly his second year of playing college basketball. I mean, technically he should be a senior, but he's only, uh, you know, a redshirt junior playing his second year of college basketball. So I don't know if uh, you could say that he's a finished product at this point or, the, or hopefully there's more to come. But to me, at least a good sign of the early going, taking away the exhibition game, is that uh, he seems to be having embraced more of a vocal role. Well, that's a good segue to Kyron Cartwright, who I think even started doing that towards the end of last year. Ed Cooley sort of alluded to that probably in February last year, that Cartwright was going to start. He started becoming a presence in the huddle. Um, didn't really – he kind of – he was over for 5 in the first half, 2 of 7 overall. That's sort of unfortunately been kind of a typical unefficient scoring line for him, even when in good games that he has. Um, so what were your impressions? Any concerns with Cartwright? Again, you know, just like uh, Roddy Bullock, I don't want to read too much into, you know, him going like 0 for 5 from the field half and the way into the second half to get his first field goal. I think, you know, once, uh, like, you know, when Vermont, the Vermont game comes in a couple weeks, he'll be ready, just like uh, Rodney Bullock. If the Friars are going to make any, any sort of push this year and kind of defy the, all the preseason naysayers about them, you know, you, they're going to need nightly big efforts from, Kyron Cartwright and Rodney Bullock. At this point, I think the coaching staff knows what they can do. I think they've impressed upon them that, uh, you know, if uh, you guys have bigger roles waiting for you, the chance to, you know, take the next step is there for you. If, you know, it's truly up to you, but the opportunity is going to be there. And like, uh, like we just talked about with uh, Rodney Bullock and you touched upon, you know, a, a more vocal role is awaiting uh, Kyron Cartwright as well. The ability to maybe just play the point guard more, I think, is going to be so beneficial to him after kind of swinging back and forth this, uh, the last couple of years on the floor, sharing the floor with Chris Dunn. You know, it sounds like, at least in the early going, he's going to be more of a pure point guard. And uh, I think that can only benefit him. And I think if that's the case, you know, watch out, baby. Uh, once again, uh, the Friars could have another leader when it comes to uh, handing out assists, which has been a pretty much a regular thing under Cooley, going back to Vincent Council, Bryce Cotton, and obviously Chris Dunn. Yeah, it's kind of been an amazing phenomenon for Providence. Even going back years, prior staffs always having some pretty good underrated guards. Um, Speaking about somebody else who might be taking on a little bit of a different role this year, um, Jalen Lindsay did not shoot well. From the field, I think he was one of six, uh, but he got to the line 13 times, made nine free throws. Do you think he was more active overall, played slightly, maybe a slightly different role than the last two seasons? Well, I think obviously when you when we looked at Jalen Lindsay coming in a couple of years ago, maybe it was unfair or fair that he was branded a shooter. And if you remember that great game he had against, I think Florida State, where he hit five or six threes, and you're thinking, oh, my God, the Friars have this next great shooting thing, and he's been kind of struggling with this. It just feels like he's been struggling with the shot ever since, other than last year when he had that big explosion game, 30 points uh, against St. John's in Madison Square Garden. I think Jalen Lindsay, you know, he's 6'7", but he looks like he's a little bit more thicker. He looks a little bigger. I don't know if he's going to be asked to do more rebounding this year. I mean, no rebounding seemed to uh, agree with him last year. I think he had a you know a couple games in the double digits in that category, but one thing again that uh, impressed me and Ed Cooley touched upon it in his post game uh, address was how you know Jay Lindsay came to him and said he wanted to check uh, Carlton's best player 
or one of the best players, and uh, Connor Wood, who had 18 points at the half, and he ended the game. Wood did with the same amount, 18, despite playing 37 minutes. So, you know, kudos to uh, Jalen Lindsay for like you know accepting the challenge and going to uh, Coach Cooley and saying, uh, you know, I want this guy, I want the opportunity to lock him down, and doing so. So that obviously that was one of the big reasons why the Friars had a huge turnaround the second half Saturday night. Yeah, and I think he too is ready for maybe being a junior another little bit of I mean it could just be this year that it's more of a leader by committee um than in prior years when you had one figure like a Henton or or even a Cotton who was was not the most vocal guy but would get in someone's face and obviously Chris Dunn and Bentel to a certain extent last year, it might just be more of a leader by committee and Lindsay might be part of that committee. Yeah, I mean uh it's all part of the evolution. You look over there, you realize that uh, there's no more Chris Dunn, there's no more Ladante Henson, and those are two players that uh, Jan Lindsay in his first two years as a Friar has the opportunity to play under. You know, you can learn different things by watching the the upperclassmen go about their business. You just mentioned Ladante Hunton, not the most vocal guy in the world. I think I think Chris Dunn was a little more vocal, not exactly get in your face, but kind of guy, but he wouldn't I'd be afraid to like point out things or say something to guys. So you take those best of both worlds, the silent approach, but also the ability to say, okay, you know, you may be doing this. You might have to think about doing that. I think Jalen Lindsay could maybe benefit and do that and take on a role that could benefit some of the younger guys as they continue to evolve as Division One college basketball players. Another player who looking to take a step forward after his freshman year, Ryan Fizikis, uh, obviously had that really hot start. I think it was nine straight games starting to begin the year and was shooting near 50%. Then he got the mono. Everybody knows. Uh, lost 25 pounds, he told me, at Big East Media Day. Uh, he only made one of his five uh, three-point attempts, and we'll hear uh, Ed Cooley later in some of his post-game audio talk about um, that Fizikis seems to need the ball to go through the net early. Uh, do you think Cooley should consider maybe starting Fizikis to get him a look earlier, or is it just more that they need to run stuff for him kind of early on when he's in the game off the bench? I think it's more of, a, you know, running stuff for him. You know, make him feel, you know, not appreciated, but just involved early going and, and engaging where, you know, you're setting picks, you're setting screens for him, and you're letting him come off maybe something and giving him good looks at threes. I don't know. I don't necessarily think that they ran enough stuff for him in the early going. The three that he did hit, it was a pretty big one. It tied the game at 47 with about 13 minutes to go on Saturday night. So I think if the Flyers are going to go anywhere, they're going to need some outside shooting touch. And even the last couple of years, despite making the NCAA tournament, that's kind of been one of their uh, Achilles heels, so to speak. So getting Fizikas to supply maybe some outside shooting touch, especially off the bench, I think that's uh, that's going to be something that uh, Ed Kuhl is going to have to figure out, uh, you know, leading up to the Vermont game in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so much about shooting is rhythm and getting involved early. And, you know, you, you sometimes you just kind of guys can get lost running around. And you, you get tired of running on screens and not getting the ball. So, I, yeah, I think just getting in the ball is probably the bottom line. And, you know, I, this, this, the coaching staff has shown that they can they can dial things up for certain guys when they need to, especially Cooley seems to have been pretty good the last few years about getting, you know, trying to do quick hitters out of timeouts, especially – uh, everyone kind of remembers that backdoor play with Bentel to Dunn for dunks a lot of timeouts. So, I mean, that could be something. You see you see more of that from Fizikas. 
Yeah, you know, obviously it's uh, it's a whole new ball game for uh, Ed Cooley and his staff in terms of what can we, what can this group really do? The last couple of years, the Friars have entered the season with at least one or two known commodities. You know, whether it was uh, Chris Dunn last year or Ladante Henton, and uh, you know Chris Dunn the year before, or the year before that Bryce Cotton, and even the Vincent Council going back to his senior year before he got hurt in the first game of the year. This team, obviously, you know, we know about Rodney Bullock, we know about Kyra Cotwright, and we know about uh, Jalen Lindsay. But we know them on a different plateau or level than where LaDante Henton or some of the other guys you just mentioned were going into a particular season. It's going to be interesting to see who really kind of steps forward and who kind of, like, you know, stays back and how Cooley is going to decide or what kind of rotation he's going to go with. I don't think he's going to be playing three freshmen in the second half of a Big East game. I don't, but uh, I guess you never know. I feel, you know, the, the way that the freshmen took a big step forward the other night, you know, if I'm maybe an upperclassman, I might be a little bit worried in terms of I got to look over my shoulder now and wonder if, uh, you know, some uh, young whippersnappers going to come in and kind of take my minutes that I maybe I thought were guaranteed to be before the season started. One such upperclassman, not exactly an upperclassman, as a sophomore, but someone who uh, was on the team last year who might be starting to think about looking over his shoulder is Ricky Council, who only played five minutes. Uh, the two points he scored were kind of late, and at that point it was pretty much garbage time. Um, I know some of the things mentioned about the freshmen is that you know, Cooley put them out there because he wanted to see what they can do. Um, do you think it speaks volumes that Council only played five minutes? I kind of, I yeah, I I definitely think that. I mean, uh, you know, obviously when Ricky Council came in last year, I think we thought that he was going to be a shooter along the lines of maybe Ryan Fazekas, maybe not as uh, prolific or such, but, you know, he really struggled in the limited opportunity he got last year. And, it kind of says something when you only get five minutes of run in a preseason game that, uh, you know, where is your kind of status at the moment? Who are you really uh, – it seems to be a really an uphill climb for Ricky Council at this point. Uh, you know, I guess uh, hopefully he gets a couple of good practices under his belt to kind of change perception right now. But it just seems, uh, you know, if you were ranking the Friars like 1 through 12 or whatever, he would be, you know, towards the bottom of the depth chart right now. Yeah, I mean, it's five minutes with, I think it was something like three minutes and two minutes or something like that. So it's not like he was in there for even five straight minutes. He got sort of end of half time in both halves and sort of along the lines of like what maybe a Tom Planick, who is now on scholarship, but was a yes. walk-on. Um, so I, I, I did, I had a whole list of people that I wanted to talk about and we we're talking about returning players. And I uh, said the ret- final returning player we should mention is Tom Planick. He was recruited, he recruited a walk-on a few years ago. He's now in his third year and Cooley gave him a scholarship. Uh, I don't think there's much to say about his two points and two rebounds in two minutes, aside from maybe that's pretty efficient. I uh, just wanted to give him a little shout-out that he's now in scholarship. Well, maybe you know, like a Ted Bancroft kind of type of uh, player. I mean, you know, you remember a couple of years ago, Ted Bancroft got a lot of run and he ended up getting a scholarship. You know, obviously different circumstances, those prior teams – seem to be short on we're short on numbers that this team seems to have but still you know even last year he got some run in a couple of games where you were wondering okay the walk-on is it and not one of the scholarship guys who are sitting on the bench so good for him and uh you know maybe he'll he'll surprise us like uh, ted bankrupt did a couple of years ago 
You never know. A little New England. Uh, I mean, he he was a friar in high school. I believe he's out of Chicago, and his high school is a Dominican school. So it could be a little a little friar magic with Tom Planick. Uh So let's jump into some of the new guys. Even um, even though this guy is not new to college basketball, uh, he's new to Providence, new to the Big East. Um, Emmett Holt. He was the leading scorer for Providence. He had 19 and 10. Uh, what did you take from Holt's performance? And should Providence fans? I was trying to kind of in my head think about. I obviously didn't see the game because it wasn't on TV, and I was at a wedding. But if uh, would you would you classify him more in like a Herb Hill on the block type of player, or is he going to be more of like a Kadeem Bats kind of floating around, hard nosed mid range jumper, you know, garbage rebound guy? I would just take Emmett Holt and just put him down on the blocks and feed him the ball. I, I think I posed this question on Twitter the other night. When was the last time the Friars had a true, we're going to throw the ball down on the blocks to this guy and let him do something kind of player? You mentioned Herb Hill, and you know Herb Hill obviously had a great senior year after largely being invisible his last his first three years of eligibility. But those those players obviously are few and far between in this year's in this college basketball game where it just seems like the big guys they want to shoot threes and the small guys are the ones who want to like you know dribble drive and try to get to the rack as often as possible. So I feel like Emmett Hull is kind of a throwback in terms of a guy that you just give the ball to and try to see if he can overpower muscle guys, maybe uh, show some nice touch around the rib and uh, you know. Go from there. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned you know a double double. I mean, ten point, you know, four offensive rebounds. I mean, one thing I, one area that I, I was kind of concerned about this Friar team coming into the season was that nobody re- hasn't really talked about is the rebounding aspect. So if Emmett Holt can give you you know eight to ten rebounds on a daily basis, I think you're in very good shape. But also, he's not a, a liability on the other end as he demonstrated with his uh, nineteen points. Yeah, and even when you kind of just even looking at the box score and you just see that Providence only won the rebounding battle 38-34, I think there's way more that goes into that number. And Providence shot a horrible – they missed 20 jump shots. They missed 20 field goals uh, in the first half. So there was just way more opportunities. When you look at the offensive rebound numbers, I mean, Holt actually, you know, they have four offensive rebounds, which was the most of anyone in the entire game and the most on Providence by far. Um, that's sort of, you know, because this team is going to struggle to score probably, especially if they don't shoot the ball well. So getting, you know, extra chances, maybe tip dunks, things that you can kind of get manufactured, sort of like small ball in basketball terms, that's going to be valuable for this team, I think, going going into the season with a lot, not exactly a, a guaranteed score. And also, uh, too, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to mention him, but I might as well we'll throw his name out there right now, Khalif Young. Another uh, a big kid who came off the bench and uh, wasn't afraid to uh, mix up his uh, mix it up down low. You know, five fouls and uh, twelve minutes. I mean, that's uh, pretty impressive in this day and age. But uh, nonetheless, you know, obviously, I think it's the product of banging against Emmett Holt for like the last month or so. So obviously, the Friars have two guys in potential that uh, you can give the ball to, maybe down low, and see if they can create some offense. Now, obviously. True freshman Khalif Young, I mean, that, that'll be interesting to see. But Emmett Holt, I think, uh, gives the Friars a good, sturdy presence down low where they really haven't had that in the Ed Cooley era. Yeah, we might as well go right into Young. I, I had a note here that he got his first two fouls within 36 seconds of entering the game. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, he wasted. No, he wasted no time uh, throwing his weight uh, down low. I mean, uh, but I think maybe that's a good sign. He wasn't timid. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't like easing into the fray, so to speak. He just he went after it, and uh, you know he'll learn. He'll learn how the college game is called and whatnot. They, you know, we had uh, a couple of Big East veteran officials there the other night. One of them, uh, you know, Ed Corbett and John Gaffney, who feel like they've been around since, uh, you know, probably uh, when Dick Vitale was actually coaching or whatnot. So yeah, maybe if they but, retired, it wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, you know. no, no, no. I mean, we could say that we could say that for another uh, podcast down the road, but. Uh, but you know, it's it's just nice to see like a little bit of a low post game in this day and age where, like we said, like the big guys they seem to be want to become shooters, and the little guys they want to play down the blocks more and more. So it's kind of a throwback, and it's nice to see uh, this uh, change here. Another guy who I just from reading scouting reports and hearing people who've seen him play talk to uh, seems kind of like a little bit of a throwback is an Alpha Diallo. He seems to kind of be the kind of kid that just doesn't really get sped up. He doesn't play under pressure. Uh, so, you know, he seems to have the ball in his hands and make plays. Um, obviously, the 10 points, pretty impressive in his first outing. I think he also had six rebounds. Is that right? Yeah, he had, uh, you know, 10 points, six rebounds, three personal fouls. Again, another kid who wasn't afraid to uh, mix it in, in there. Uh, one thing I, I watched particularly about Alpha the other night was his facial expressions. And it looked like he had the same face whether things were going well, which they were in the second half, or when things weren't, which was the case in the first half, obviously for him and a lot of his teammates. You know, he seemed to have a very calm debater about him, didn't get too amped up or too low given the situation. And, you know, it looked like he did a better job defensively more in the second half, like, you know, staying in front of guys. I think he was caught, you know, maybe in some switches that – uh you know, allow Colin to like, you know, have more easier passage to the rim or whatnot. So I give, I think his defense, more so than his offense, uh, should be uh, taken under advisement based on what we saw Saturday night. You know, I think one thing that's been a little confusing for people too is where is exactly he from? Um, a lot of people saw him last, you know, the summer before his senior year for the Colorado Hawks. I think they were on ESPN when they're out in Vegas. Uh, he is in fact from New York City. He's from Harlem. So. Uh, New York City kids tend to be pretty unflappable, either unflappable or over the top emotional. So he seems to be more on the on the side of being low key and uh, and confident. Um, a, a guy who might be a little bit more showy and, and more confident, Malik White, 15 points. Looks like he shot the ball pretty well. Do you think he's more going to play alongside Cartwright? Um, I know Cooley kind of talked about that a little bit after the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we, when we look at Malik White, I feel like we're looking at Kyra Cartwright, you know, freshman year 2014. You know, you know, it looks like a point guard by trade, but he did a lot of, you know, high-volume scoring while as a high school senior and junior in particular. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, I don't know, break him of that mindset and maybe make him more of a maybe a backup ball handler because maybe that's the one thing that, uh, you know, that the Friars need, another thing the Friars need to address as well, like, you know, if Kyra Cartwright gets in foul trouble, so to speak, who's going to handle the ball? And, you know, obviously right now the leading candidate appears to be Malik White. You know, obviously he has a nice shooting stroke. You know, he's not afraid. He's not bashful when it comes to uh, taking up shots. But, you know, one thing that kind of sticks out is he had zero assists in 21 minutes. And, and so obviously, and Cooley touched upon the assists uh, total afterwards. And, 
saying that's not total that uh, is going to win you too many games. But, uh, you know, again, Malik White, you know, gives some scoring punch. And uh, it just – it looks like for right now, uh, Mike, you know, the bench, you know, I, I have fewer questions about the bench now than I did maybe before Saturday. And maybe it's because the freshmen kind of were so impressive in the second half. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, how, what this group can do from, you know, with a game of, uh, you know, under the belts. Granted, it's an exhibition game, but it's meaningful minutes and – it's not like one of those controlled scrimmages that have that, you know, okay, dead ball every two seconds so we can kind of go over things like that. They actually played a game under the bright lights of the Dunkin' Donuts Center with a few thousand people sitting in the stands, and for the most part, they they passed that test. And then the final newcomer, George Mason transfer, Isaiah Jackson, he did get the start uh, in this game. Relatively quiet box score. Um, I kind of read varying reviews. Kevin Farahar at PriorBasketball.com sort of thought um, when looking at the box score later that uh, he was surprised that there wasn't more there because he felt Jackson was more active. Other people were not as high on him. What, what, did, what was your uh, reaction? Well, I just, uh, you know, it, it looks like it was just a total, he had a blank canvas going in and he walked out with a blank, cave, blank uh, canvas. I mean, not really a lot there. It may be the way that his performance kind of opened the door for the, some of the younger guys to get more extended run the second half, whereas maybe you wanted to see Isaiah Jackson out there the second half to see what he can do. But, again, this is another guy who has college basketball experience under his belt. You know, he knows what to do when the real games are he, uh, count. So maybe just like we can lump him into the Rodney Bullock, uh, you know, Kyron Cartwright, uh, you know, group and say, let's not – read too much into what they did on Saturday night. Let's, uh, let's, we'll, we'll look at it when uh, they play Vermont in a couple of weeks and revisit it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see. He, he's somebody that I was kind of anxious to, and I was, I didn't even get to see him yet, but just anxious to see how he would perform after being in the program for a year practicing. And obviously we can't really take any of these numbers too, too seriously, but I, I do think that he'll, I don't know if he's going to be quite the junior La Mamba that everybody's, you know, pegging him as as a glue guy. But maybe, I mean, I think he has a role on this team. But, again, there's so much depth. There's so much to wade through with the the new guys and integrating them with some of the guys who are now juniors and upperclassmen who are taking on new roles. I think there's just there's so, so many unknowns right now. And, I, yeah, just we'll see what happens when the, when the lights are really on November 14th, which it's going to be a very tough game, I think. Oh, it's a very tough game to open it up. The season, uh, you know, against the uh, Americans preseason favorites, and you know the Friars opened up with four games, I believe, seven going out to Ohio State, you know, a couple days later, and then coming back to uh, part of the, the exemption they're in with a couple games before going down to Florida for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. You know, they're, they're going to learn about this team early on. It'll be, it'll, I think, the biggest, you know, important person going into the season is not necessarily a guy who's going to be putting the ball in the hoop. But Ed Cooley, and what does he see? What is he going to decide on? Okay, these are the five guys that I'm going to go with to start the game. But, you know, who was my emergency guy that, you know, somebody gets two quick fouls? Who do I go to? How is my bench going to look like? The one thing we could, I think all Friar fans could probably agree upon is even though this Friar team has the most depth and maybe the Cooley error, he's not going to play – 11 guys like he did in the first half on Saturday night. You know, he's probably got to cut the rotation down, maybe go eight at the most, maybe pushing nine. But who are those nine guys going to be? And, what, you know, what guy? other guys are just going to uh, 
you know, maybe just sit on a bench and, uh, you know, maybe just be relegated to mop-up duty. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think there won't be any – we we probably won't even have anything close to answers after that first four-game stretch either. Probably not until the Big East season we'll really know. But um, just going through now, we, we went through all the players kind of individually. Um, let's start on the offensive side of the ball just overall. Uh, obviously a pretty horrible shooting performance in the first half. Just seemed like a totally different team in the, the second half. Just what would you say on the offensive side, just as an overall 40-minute view? Well, I wouldn't even say, like, I just think they ran better offense. And I think, you know, it was more like funneling the ball. It wasn't settling for quick shots. I thought early go, in the early going, you know, they pulled the trigger, maybe not even with 10 seconds going by off the shot clock. I think the, the Friars were a little more patient with their sets and try to get guys touches and whatnot and before, you know, you know, going through with their plan of attack or whatnot. I think uh, they were the biggest thing I noticed that they were more, much more patient in the second half. Yeah, well, that's I mean that, that's sort of you expect that a little bit too with some jitters maybe in the first half and they're subbing more liberally so you guys don't have a chance to get into a rhythm. So that, that makes sense. Um, but uh, the, but the, the big the big thing that I'll take away from this, Mike, is you know Ed Cooley talked about the eight assists that they had for the for the game. But one thing I look at is, you know, they only had nine turnovers. And for a largely a young group, I, I don't think that was – that's not too shabby. You know, you think uh, with a young group, you'd maybe get 15, 16 turnovers. So uh, I think one thing that really hasn't been talked about is how, how the Friars protected the ball and weren't extremely sloppy with it, given their first time out. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see even – Malik White had, had maybe uh... – Four, three, three turnovers, which is on the three turnovers, side, but, but not. I mean, not, not nothing crazy. I mean, I think Cartwright's first game, he had like five his freshman year. So I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, I do think the assist number, and I have a great stat later for the assist number, just real, real good research by me. I did, um, but yeah, the, the turnovers was interesting, and even um, the points off the turnovers on the other side of the ball. They Carlton had seventeen, and Providence converted a lot of those, so that was good. Uh, good to see. Um, on the defensive side of things, was the defense as bad as it looked on paper in the first half, or was it more just kind of the same kind of things we were talking about? They were subbing liberally and you know just couldn't get into any kind of a matchup rhythm. I just yeah, I just think you know you know when you play a lot of guys like they did, I, I, you know what can you where, where's the continuity? Where's uh, you know, it's not like you. Ed Cooley left said, "Okay, we're gonna leave these five guys on the floor for an extended period of time and see what happens." I feel that uh, you know there wasn't much in the way of guys who were on the floor together. Maybe it was a different combination that they were used to in practice, and it takes time with wondering about, you know, what's the next guy going to do? You know, is he going to be able to switch if something happens to me or or whatnot? So there's a lot of thinking that goes on and. You know, like we said, the rotation is definitely going to be deeper, and it leads to more combinations that Cooley and his staff can work with. But how are they going to go about, you know, saying, okay, we're going to go with this combination as opposed to this combination? And how many different scenarios can you go through without, like, you know, it being sensory overload? Yeah, and especially for the young guys, that's one of the last things they pick up is defensive schemes and knowing where they're supposed to be off the ball. So. Um, but any any one specific thing, any concern 
with the opposing point guard going for 28 points in 28 minutes. I know he sort of was on mid-major college radars a few years ago, but, I mean, that, that's a lot of points in, in that amount of minutes. It is a lot, but like we talked about, Kyra Cartwright wasn't out there for much of the second half, and I think if he was out there, things might have been a little bit different. You know, you're talking about a freshman in Malik White that was out there trying to check him. I mean, it's, it was a new experience for him pretty much. So, I again, I, I'm not going to put too much stock into, you know, a college kid, uh, like you said, you know, who was on some uh, radars, like going berserk, so to speak. So, but I, one thing I will take away is that uh, it's just a work in progress. I think that's the best way to probably sum up this group right now. It was a good first step, and even Cooley acknowledged it. He, what, what, called, what really said, uh, I took notice of what he said was a systematic win. And I think what he probably meant was, you know, it wasn't one guy who was really ultra-really dominant. Yes, Emmett Holt did have a very good game. But it's not like it was like a Chris Dunn game where, you know, or a LaDante Henting game where he's popping for like 25 points or whatnot. You know, the scoring was pretty much reflective of it was a total team effort. And I think that's what you're going to see more this year. Whereas years past, you had that Dante Henton or Chris Dunn who, you know, would be good. And then somebody else like a Ben Bento or a Kadeem Batsy or a nice complimentary punch so to speak, and then you had your third guy, like a Tyler Harris, who averaged around 10 points a game. I think maybe the scoring will be a little bit more closer together this year, average-wise. So I think that will be uh, interesting to see moving forward. I think my biggest takeaway on, on defense, having not watched the second of the game, which is I think the, the fact that Jalen Lindsay had the confidence to, A, ask Cooley to guard the other team's best player in the second half after that kid lit them up for 18, and then B, backed it up by holding it to zero points the rest of the game. That, to me, that's my biggest takeaway because I feel like he doesn't really have a defined role, and if he can get defined into a role where he says, I'm going to be a defensive stopper, I'm going to grab rebounds, I'm going to maybe hit the occasional three-pointer, I think that's probably a great place for him to get his mind into for this season coming in as a junior. Well, it sounds like uh, almost like the junior Lamumbo role from a year ago. Like, you know, you would come in, you know, you want to be that defensive stopper, maybe take on one of the better uh, perimeter threats on the team and maybe hit that occasional three. Now, I, I'm sure Fire fans are hoping for a little more offensive punch from Jalen Lindsay. Than a what little we more saw arc from, on the uh, jump shot? A little more, uh, little more, uh, little more fluidity to the jumper. I think but, the, rims uh, that, uh, the rims of the dunk also feel the same way. Yes, uh, as opposed to Madison Square Garden from last year. But, uh, you know, I think right now maybe he thinks that, you know, I want to be like Junior Bumba from a year ago. I want to be that defensive lockdown guy and maybe supply a, a three or two here so I can get my confidence going. So maybe it just takes a little bit. I don't I want to say pressure off of me, but, you know, by taking on a greater role, it kind of ensures that he'll be on the floor a little bit longer. I mean, to me, it was almost amazing, given that the lack of offensive production you got from Junior Lamumbo a year ago, how often he was on the floor. And uh, I think right now, if he kind of settles into that mindset, I think that will only help. Well, that will only help with Jalen's confidence moving forward, and maybe that will be the, the shot stop dropping with a regu- on a more regular basis. And then just the final thing that jumped out for me from the box score. Um, Bench points. I'm not really even used to looking at that stat. Uh, Providence really never has bench points. Obviously a little bit inflated at 41 of the 87, but still I think that 
speaks to the larger thing that you're saying before. The scoring is going to be a little more closely mowed in terms of the averages, and they'll be spread out among guys who are and coming off the bench one game, starting the next game, coming on. You know, this this could be a year where there's just a lot of scoring off the bench. Right, and you know, maybe backing up a point I made earlier about uh, you know the biggest key maybe going into the season is how Ed Cooley decides to go with uh, his rotation. You know, how long does he stay with certain guys if they are struggling? It maybe turn to other guys because that's one of the good things about death. It, it, it's not like the last couple of years where you have six or seven guys. And that's it. You're not looking down the bench for possible solutions. When Ed Cooley looks down the bench this year, he's going to have options. It's going to be interesting to see how he decides how long a leash to give guys and maybe how long that leash run for and before he turns things over to uh, some of the younger guys. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be an interesting year to say the least. And uh, now I guess we'll we'll hear a little bit from Ed Cooley himself. Um, he had uh, some comments to say after the game outside the locker room. Uh, and I have some clips. Um, the first one is the longest one. Uh, sort of just he gave the difference between the first half and the second half in terms of the performance of the team. You know, we still missed a lot of guys in the first half trying to get their feet wet, get them on the floor. We told you we were going to try to play everybody today. And the second half, we looked at more of a rotation of how we would probably play uh, if it was a, a real game. Um, I thought, I thought Jalen Lindsay set the tone in the second half. Uh, you know, he came and told me he's going to go out there and shoot us. He was really lighting stuff. I thought he set the tone the entire second half. And I thought all of our young guys came in and were really energetic and impacted the entire game. So I was happy to see that. I thought Emmett Holt kept us consistent the whole time. And, uh, you know, Rodney gave his legs under him. I thought of every, it was a really, really uh, systematic resource, and that's not normally how we play this and there's that, that systematic win that you mentioned just a minute ago. I think that's probably one of the more interesting aspects is that this team could be a little bit more of an actual team as opposed to a guy or two and then a bunch of other, you know, kind of fill-in role players. I don't think the ball is going to stick where it did in the past where you gave the ball to Chris Dunn and, you know, Ben Bentzel and said, okay, go make the plays. You know, it's going to be us, you guys, to like carry the day for us. I think you're going to see better ball movement, and that's that's what I touched about earlier when the, about the second half in particular. I thought the ball movement was a lot better as opposed to the first half. It wasn't sticking in one guy's hand. You know, it wasn't one guy was just dribbling, 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 and then going to make a play or whatever. The ball is going to have to move for this group because, like we said, there's a lot of unknown commodities by and large. Not maybe not so much within Providence college circles, but from Big East and national wavelengths. So. It's going to be uh, it's going to be really uh, it's really going to, have to be a total team effort at least in the early going where you know who are you going to go to at the end of the games I think that's another uh, issue that's going to be interesting to see moving forward you know down two with like you know ten seconds to go who are you going to get who do you, who is that really going to draw a play up for and uh, it could be maybe one of like three or four guys could be anyone in that huddle at that point that breaks it whereas in years past you would say okay same scenario. You know that the ball is going to go to Chris Dunn, or like if maybe down to, like if you go back to the URI game last year where they won at the buzzer. You know Chris Dunn basically dribbled the ball up to the front court. Ed Cooley did not call a timeout to kind of set up anything, so to speak. And then uh, obviously Ben Bentel got the tip in to win the game. You know maybe in, the, in that scenario again this season. You know 
Cooley probably will not hesitate to call a timeout to try to see if he can set something up. Yeah, and that's a good point. You can definitely see a little bit more controlled managing of this roster. You're not just going to give Chris Dunn the keys. You know, Cameron Carter probably at this point may not have the, the confidence to be that much of a playmaker. So um, this next clip is uh, Cooley talking about facing a tough opponent in the exhibition uh, like Carl. You really had to play. That team in Arizona win 25 games up in Canada. They may win the national championship again up there. It was something we've never done as far as play an exhibition game before scrimmage. Uh, live like that. So credit our players for staying locked in the and I thought it was a really good team win. I know it really wasn't their choice that they didn't get to play this game. They had to play it kind of early because there's some kind of some dunk conflicts. But I think long term this could be a really positive thing for them that they might want to think about doing is playing an open game before the closed game. I, I totally agree. You know, you look around the country, some teams have totally given up on, you know, playing that quote-unquote exhibition game in front of the fans and just play two controls scrimmages before going into the season. I mean, uh, I think this pattern might not be a bad thing in terms of it gives your your kids a chance to play, like I said, in front of the bright lights, in front of a few thousand people, before going to a control scrimmage where now you have something that you can kind of build upon, whereas if you do the control control scrimmage first, it's like, okay, you know, it just, to me, it feels like a more of a glorified practice, whereas, you know, you're stopping the ball or whatnot, and, you know, you're going over things where, in the exhibition game, you're just letting the kids play more than what you see, what they're going to see in a re- in a regular season game. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think there's a lot of benefit there because just it's sort of like wasting a practice opportunity where you could really correct some stuff against another team, and that other team is oh by the way an actual Division One basketball team and not some Stonehill or or yeah, I mean not not that Carlton wasn't great, but I mean it's just I, I think there's a, a big benefit that. It'd be interesting to see if they keep it going next year. Uh, the next clip is uh, Ed Cooley talking about the new guys. Need a lot more than that, but they definitely. I thought they were anxious. Um, you know, Malik was a three that throws the air force and turns the ball over. So, you know, we need we need some game time under our belt. So, all in all, uh, good effort. I'm looking forward to getting back and uh, getting practice. Yeah, I think getting getting back, getting to practice. That's kind of what we were talking about. These kids now have the experience of playing at the Dunkin' Donuts Center with a crowd, albeit less than 5,000 people, but a crowd of people, the lights were on, and a different color jersey on the other side. I think that's something that it's just you can only practice against yourself so many times, and I think that's that it's great for them to get out there and do that. You know, you know talking with Ryan Zekas and uh, Kyron Cartwright last week, you know, it was getting to the point that they were getting tired of bumping against the same guys for like the last few weeks. You know, you get antsy and you probably get a little shifty and you want to see another team or go up against them because you, because you want to see where you stand, you know, and like we said about the freshmen in particular, you want to see what they could do with the lights are turned on and there's a different color jersey, you know, guarding them. You know, they probably, you know, Leaf Young could probably, is probably those Malik White's moves inside and out at this point. He probably didn't know too much about Carlton, you know, maybe the basic scouting reports or whatnot. So it was it, it was more, I think, time for them to see where they stood with another opponent and gives Ed Cooley something to really draw upon and saying, you know, okay, how how they did in practice, you can only, you look at that tape, you probably, it's probably can only work for so long. 
now that they have something, like something tangible, I think that only benefits them moving forward and, and heading into their control, control scrimmage next weekend. Yeah, and I think even, too, another point that's interesting to think about is some guys are way better game players and practice players, and you don't find out until you play the game. So a lot of people are talking about maybe Malik White's one of those kids because a lot of the talk out of practice was maybe he wasn't ready, but now he comes in and scores 15 points. So you just never know until you get out there. So, um, And here's Cooley just on Malik White specifically. Malik uh, has been getting better over the course of the week. Uh, we've been trying to play him a little bit with Kyron to get him off the ball and on the ball. Um, more of a score with a facilitator, and uh, we're going to need that. It's interesting to see if he actually is relied on as a score at any point because I don't know if you can really do that in the Big East, but I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I think we touched upon it earlier that, uh, you know, who is the uh, second ball handler after uh, Kyron Cockwright? Like, you know, if he gets into trouble, I think, uh, you know, sharpening uh, Malik White's ball handling skills and, you know, how, giving him, like, you know, a little bit of, like, a run to, like, run the offense or whatever to dictate the tempo or whatever instead of going out there and looking for his shot. I think that's kind of the, the mindset that he needs to maybe start incorporating a little bit with the coaching staff needs to start impressing upon him, you know. Like we saw the other night, he has no problem uh, filling up the rim. My question yeah. is, can he become more of a, a secondary ball handler and maybe allow a guy like like we've seen the last couple of years, like you know Chris Dunn and Kyron Conrad out there at the same time, two ball handlers out there, and the matchup problems that kind of posed. You know, can we see that with this group as well? Yeah, and obviously we don't want to forget about Drew Edwards, uh, but he's just not healthy right now, so. He could be that guy, but is he going to be that guy in a couple of weeks? I mean, I, he, he basically hasn't played since May when he got surgery in early June. So, uh, yeah, I think right now you got to look at Malik White as probably the de facto backup point guard. I feel like, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Drew Edwards. I feel like if this prior team wants to maybe start pressing a little bit more this year, that, you know, see if the tempo a little bit, I think he would be – the ideal guy to have out there because I think he's so quick and so low to the ground where I don't I don't know if I feel comfortable with him being like that secondary ball handler behind Kyron Cartwright. So it'll be interesting to see how healthy Drew Edwards is when he does come back and what kind of role awaits him. Yeah, it'd be, it's sort of a total unknown right now. Um, this next clip is Ed Cooley talking about how playing a team like Carlton will help them in the regular season. The fact that they have guards that can really score, and that's what you're going to play because that's the big use the whole time. Big guys keep you winning the game, guards winning the game. Well, he's got probably got Ed Cooley's got better uh, better big guys than guards right now, so hopefully that that can switch for them. Yeah, hopefully that uh, you know, obviously the defense against uh, Carlton's backcourt was went from being like poor to maybe suspect to improved by the game's end, like we mentioned. But right now, uh, how, how who are the Flyers defensively at the guard spots? Who are, could you count on to maybe lock down uh, the opposing guy, like say when Villanova comes in or whatever later this season, or even you know we'll look ahead to even a URI in December. Like who, you know who, who's going to stay in front of like a, a Jarvis Garrett or an EC Matthews? So yeah, it's got foul trouble written all over it. It, it has foul trouble written all over, but that's why maybe you hope that Drew Edwards can come back by then because you know. One thing that I 
maybe equally wishes he could do, but he hasn't had the luxury in the last couple of years because the depth has been so, like, you know, short. You know, maybe if he can press a little bit more and waste a couple of falls here and there where he couldn't before, and I think that's where Drew Edwards' role could really prove to be his calling card. Yeah. Uh, okay, this next one is Ed Cooley talking about the defensive difference between the first half and the second half. I thought it got a little bit more open. We made one slight adjustment on the ball screen with our four and five men. We didn't switch as much as we did in the first half. The guys wanted to go on until the ball was cold. That's a really, really good happen. So we didn't want the ball to move. We wanted to try to stop the ball as much as we can and have to adjust the It's interesting because they've largely, the last few years, been a team that just switched all ball screens because they they feel and this team does have enough size at the guard and wing positions to do the switching. But it's interesting that he makes the point that they made an adjustment on switching, although the four and five. Uh, but but that, again, that speaks to like maybe the more of the low post defenders that they have now that in years past they didn't have. And, you know, we mentioned about the earlier. Most last time the Friars had a guy that you would throw the ball in down low and tell him go make a play. You know, obviously with Carson DeRoges and maybe even to a degree Pascal Chuku when he was here for his uh, one season. You know, when, where 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 the prior defenders been in terms of low post ones where you have the ability to maybe switch out on guys that have have comfortable them maybe playing further away from the rim than maybe they were initially. Yeah, I mean it's it'd be interesting to see how Emmett Holt handles playing center for pretty much all year because he's going to get a lot of minutes at six foot seven at the center position. Um, probably more so interesting when the Big East uh, play rolls around. You get real men coming at him. But he's, you know, he played in the Big Ten. He was in Indiana, so I don't think he'll be totally blindsided, but just something to keep an eye on. Um, the next clip is uh, Cooley on which side of the ball he's more concerned about after the game. You know, hey guys, we're working proud of them. You know what I mean? We lost some really, really good players. And I'm really proud of the grit that our guys showed. I was shocked by the second half of the game, to be honest with you. You know, I didn't expect us to be that dialed in this early to see the defense and have a little bit more pride. It was actually fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's. It's interesting because normally defense, especially with a young team, is not something that kind of clicks pretty early in the season. No, and. Uh... I think right now maybe defense has to be more of the calling card for this group, for this particular prior group, where the offense will remain a work in progress, at least for the foreseeable future, until you know we just sell a lot of five guys that you know you're comfortable with. So it was very good to see the defensive effort in the second half and, and take a more of a low jack approach, whereas in the first half and maybe led to result in playing so many guys where there was no real continuity in terms of like you know this is five guys you're going to stop them right now. So, like I said, that like Cooley mentioned earlier in that uh, audio, you know, settled in on a rotation that you might see during the regular season that uh, it worked. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I think that's probably what you're going to have to rely on because if the shooting's not going to be there, you better hope you can guard. Um, uh, and then Ed Cooley talked about the team's transition defense. It was better. It was better in the second half. You know, and they, they scored a little bit off on turnovers. Uh, yeah, I think that the the transition. I mean, I just didn't see the game, but you did. But just looking at the stats on the on the points off turnovers, it looked like it was was pretty solid. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like this prior team, they they might have to play a little quicker just because I I can see them struggling in a, a half-court setting, uh, particularly if their shooting is uh, not there. So I would think that they want to try to run at every opportunity they can, but do so under a controlled pace where it's not like, you know, frantic and, you know, helter-skelter. So it was good to see that they were, uh, you know, pushing the pace a little bit, but not like doing so where, you know, they get to the rim and all of a sudden they're like passes that are sloppy and not hitting somebody's hand or they lose the dribble and the ball sails out of bounds. Really didn't fail at it. But like we mentioned earlier, I think the nine turnovers to me was the biggest stat that I took away from that game because with a relatively young team, you would think, okay, this has like a 16-17 turnover game written all over given the the veteran backboard of uh, Carlton. So, but um, I think they want to play fast, but and they want to do so in a controlled environment. So and that was so that was good to see. And then, on, in terms of the lack of shooting, Cooley was asked if he's concerned about the lack of shot making from some of the returning players. I think I think it's a little bit of a concern. I, I didn't think we got Ryan enough open looks early. You know, I mean, Ryan needs to see the ball go through the net. And then once he starts cutting like that, it opens everything out. I mean, we got slips, we got post up, we got in one. We just got to make sure he gets one or two looks really early in the game. I think that really helps. And that's sort of the line that we talked about earlier uh, with Ryan Fazekas needing to see the ball go through the net early. I think that's probably true of a lot of shooters. But uh, be interesting to see if uh, Cooley makes an adjustment you know, against Vermont and tries to get him involved early with some some plays specifically run for him. Yeah, once he comes in the game, he can't he can't be like you know a stationary guy. You know, Ryan Fazekas is not going to beat anyone off the dribble at least probably this season. So you got to use his best asset, which is outside shooting. And, uh, you know, I think he's the type of guy that uh, he's not going to be a – he needs to be a catch-and-shoot kind of guy. And one thing about catch-and-shoot guys, you have to give them some room to speak, just some room to uh, shoot and some clearance. So he can't – so it's going to be on the top of uh, the guys to basically, you know, create some room, set some screens, and uh, – Ryan's going to be able to have that mindset, okay, when I'm coming off that double screen or whatnot on the left or the right wing, you know, i got to shoot this, and it, it has to go in. He has to have the confidence that it's going to go in. I uh, have a hot take prediction right now. I think he'll have at least one game with five made threes this year. I think so. I think I, I totally agree because I think he was treading towards that direction last year before getting sick and missing substantial time and basically pay, playing catch-up the rest of the season. I think he's going to have that type of game where – you know, I go back to Rodney Bullock last year at Butler on New Year's Eve where he came out of nowhere and started hitting like five or six threes. And I feel like that could be like Ryan Fazekas' role, just that guy that comes in and supplies an offensive punch from the perimeter. I think that would work wonders for this prior team if he comes in and starts hitting shots. Yeah, that would be much needed. Uh, this next clip is um, Ed Cooley speaking about Jalen Lindsay going to him to ask the guard, Carlton's Connor Woods, who did score the 18 first-half points. Yeah, I, I love when a player tell me what they want to do, you know, because they're telling me something I need to listen to. I told you we can't be challenging and not listen to our players. Those guys are out there, especially guys that have been through us, but it was good to see. Yeah, like I said, that was one of the, the takeaways that I thought was, was very interesting because now to have the confidence in your third year to go up to the coach and say, I want to shut that guy down, and then he went out and did it. I think that was a big takeaway for me. Well, and also from the coach's uh, perspective, it's not like uh, 
Ed Cooley said, you know, we're doing, we're going to do what we're doing. You know, we're going to stick with it. We're going to ride it out. It's an exhibition game. You know, we're just going to go from there. The willingness on uh, Coach Cooley's part to uh, really listen to, uh, you know, Jalen Lindsey bend his ear and say, okay, I want to check this guy. And for him to agree to it, I think that's also very telling as well, how he has trusted uh, Jalen Lindsey and his ability to, like, see things and, you know, go from there. Yeah, I mean, Lindsay is a, is a phenomenal athlete, if nothing else. So uh, the defensive end of the, of the game could be the thing that he really thrives on this year. Um, the final clip from Cooley here is he was asked what what needs to happen between this game and then the team's season opener on November 14th. The guys got to continue to develop. We need to have more chemistry on the floor. We, have, we need more than eight assists if we're going to win a game. If you can't win games, we, we need to average 16 to 18 assists a game in order to be a high, high octane. So I did some, some real crack research uh, on the assist numbers. Uh, I think 16 to 18 would be an all-time high for an Ed Cooley team. But um, 2011-12, they averaged 13.6. 12-13, they averaged 14.3. 13-14 was 13.6. 14-15 was 13.9. And then last season, they averaged a, a high of 15.7 for an average in Cooley's five years of 14.2 assists a game. So not quite in the 16-18 range, but certainly better than the eight that they did. Oh, I think... Like we touched on, the assist number has to double. I don't know if doubling is really the fair amount because, like you said, 16 assists. I mean, who really does that in this day and age of college basketball? You know, if he gets up to the 13 or 14 range, you know, I I, I will be able to live with that more. And uh, but again, you know, that's going to be, come down to Kyron Cartwright. You know, I think uh, the offense is going to uh, you know go through him at least uh, facilitating wise to begin. Not so much uh, you know putting the ball through the rim. I think that's going to be more on uh, Rodney Bullock, at least in the early going. So it's going to be up to the point guard to uh, recognize, but also put guys in places where they have the ability to do to uh, to score. And like we touched upon with uh, Ryan Fizikas, it's going to be about you know setting maybe a couple screens for him, coming off picks and having him come off and shooting off the wing, a catch and shoot, and doing that in a way that. Uh, benefits him and the whole prior team. Yeah, I just think, you know, that it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they even really do on offense because there's so many unknowns. Uh, you know, are they going to run a little more flex? Are they going to try to run pick and roll? Are they going to have multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time? I mean, there's so many unknowns, so many things, and it kind of makes it exciting that we sort of have really no idea going into the year how things are going to play out. So it allows for some extra optimism that maybe – is undeserving, but I mean, it's going to be a fun year. I think win or lose. I think even if they win 16, 17 games, or if they win 22 games, I think it'll be a fun year to watch this team develop, knowing that as of this moment, in theory, unless someone decides to leave, none of these kids are gone next year. No. And that's the thing. I feel like maybe this is a two year window for this group. You know, like you said, this day and age of college basketball transfers, you know, you can always count on maybe one or two guys like leaving, and then you add on the guys that you already have, like set to sign letters of intent a couple of weeks that are coming in next year, you know, the size. So this could be a two-year kind of window for this group. And uh, I think, you know, you never want to talk about patience, especially when you look at a program that's, you know, made three NCAA tournament teams in the last three years and won a Big East championship and sent a couple guys off to the pros that you, in theory, are going to take a step back, but... 
it's going to be interesting to see how much this team grows and matures over the coming months. Are they? Is it going to be? Is this team going to be vastly better by the time February comes around or late January? And that will be interesting to see how much evolution this team does in the in the weeks and the months ahead. And just a little bit of extra perspective for everyone. Uh, if the Providence team, this team did decide to actually make the NCAA tournament this year, it would be the fourth year in a row. That has never happened before in program history. So just a little perspective. Uh, I know Cooley's bringing in a little bit of a new norm in terms of what people are expecting of this program, but uh, it's okay if they have an NIT year and build on it like they did the last time they had an NIT year. Um, so just, just something to keep in mind as we're just under two weeks away from the season getting started. I don't think, you know, Mike, at any time now, as long as Ed Cooley is at the helm, that the Friars are going to slip up to the point where, you know, it's like a St. John's kind of level where they're totally struggling at the bottom of the Big East and, or DePaul level. I don't think he's going to allow that. out. So I think having him on the sidelines is a huge benefit for this team. If, uh, if I had another coach I, with this group, I might be a little bit more worried. But, you know, having the guy that's in charge right now, I, I really feel that, uh, you know, they would pick ninth in the Big East. I, I really think that uh, they can really defy and maybe get up to maybe as high as six. I don't know if uh, that might be generous, I'm thinking on my part, but that maybe that's how much faith I have in Ed Cooley's ability to really get the most out of this group. Yeah, they're not ninth. I mean, that's ludicrous. St. John's absolutely blew the doors off Baruch last night, but I got news for people. They're not that good still. No, Chris, Mullen, Chris Mullen might be asleep right now on the bench, for all I know. So, I mean, I, I don't know. That, that was a little bit ludicrous to me. Didn't really get a rise on any of the players at media day. They all kind of took it in stride and said, you know, you know, we we can only control what we can control. But, I mean, I, I have a feeling that in that locker room, they probably were a little bit kind of annoyed by that. I'm sure, you know, they should be missed a little bit, uh, especially the guys that are coming back who have NCAA tournament experience under their belt. It's they want to keep this thing going. They don't want to have a set, uh, have a, take a step backwards. And they are going to be hell bent, I think, to make sure that the young guys are up to par. The new guys are uh, ready to contribute right from the get go. There's not going to be any easing in. And Kyron Conroy made that quite clear to me a couple of weeks ago when I sat down and talked to him. Uh, you know, they're freshmen, but they're only freshmen by name. Uh, we're, we expect big things from them. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be treated as, uh, you know, first year guys. Yeah, he said the same thing at Biggie's Media Day. He said, you know, we don't treat them any differently. We don't have any less expectations. So I think that's a that's a, a key point to his his leadership is that he's going to probably kind of crack the whip. He's certainly matured just even off the court, noticing some of the stuff that uh, he's gotten into just on the education side of things. It just seems like kind of night and day from when he came from Compton, California, as a freshman to where he is now. So. Um, I think that this uh, this group could be fun. Uh, this was this was a fun fun chatting with you for the last hour or so. I'm um, really looking forward to the season. I'll see you at the dunk in a couple of weeks. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, pleasure, Mike. Hope to make this uh, a regular occurrence. Yeah, well, we'll do a little preview of the season maybe next week or the week after. Sounds good. All right, so that was Brendan McGare joining me uh, to go over the Carlton Providence exhibition game that was played on October 29th. At the Dunkin' Donuts Center, Providence's only open exhibition of the 2016-17 season. The Friars uh, next up will be a closed scrimmage against Northeastern. I believe it's uh, this weekend, but again, it's a secret, so I'm not really supposed to know when or who or where. 
but uh, that's that's the, the word on the street. So uh, that'll be the next thing for Providence. Uh, again, I want to thank Brenda McGare from the Pawtucket Times for joining me. Uh, we're going to hopefully make this sort of a regular occurrence. Uh, he and I are hopefully going to do a little preview for the Vermont game maybe towards the end of next week, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, these are hopefully going to be pretty regular during the season. I, I'm, as I said last time, I, I want to try to maybe get at least two a month, if not more, uh, two of these podcasts a month during the season to kind of cover things, uh, keep you updated. Uh, obviously, we have uh, coming up two in terms of uh, not necessarily the season, but just the program. Uh, the early signing period begins uh, right around the time of the first game. Uh, so that will be happening in the next couple of weeks as well. I would expect you'll get both letters of intent signed by Dejour Dickens and Nate Watson uh, during that early signing period. So uh, keep keep posted for that. Uh, that's pretty much it for this episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. Uh, you can follow uh, the follow me on on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, continue to read the site. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, uh, Podomatic, uh, any podcatching type of app that you might have. I, tend, I, I use Overcast, just in case anyone was wondering. Um, so check us out on there. Subscribe so you get automatically notified of new episodes. Season is officially around the corner. We're now under two weeks from the uh, tip of the Providence season, November 14th, against Vermont at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh, so stay, as always, stay classy, Friartown. Mm-hmm.